Hello, legends. Today, I catch up with my good friend and cub member, Julian Fayed, the founder and CEO of LoanOptions.ai. Since launching in 2020, LoanOptions.ai has hit the asset finance industry by storm, innovating the whole thing with an intelligent AI system that matches you with the best loan option for you. Julian shares how he used partnerships to rapidly expand nationally and do it cost-effectively. We spoke about the three most important things in business that you can do to retain your staff, the employment landscape in general at the moment, and how to plan for the upcoming economy. Julian's one of the smartest, most impressive young entrepreneurs that I know and I'm lucky to be friends with. We had a great conversation. Enjoy the show. Man, you've been blowing up lately. Thank you, man. I can Thank see. You. I can see. I mean, <laughs> I obviously know about it because we, we keep catching up, but but I can see it everywhere. Like I can, I can just. I, I don't even. I I can't even describe it to you, but I can feel it. You know, you can feel <laughs> something's happening. Something's happening at your end of town. Yeah, well, um, I guess we, we have been exploding. Like uh, rewind to you know August first, twenty twenty, where it was our official launch date, and we started in uh, a room basically no bigger than this for four people. Um, to the guests, this is a tiny podcast room. So, uh, yeah. It's Sorry, a guess couple meters to the listeners. A few meters by a couple meters kind of thing. And I actually posted that on LinkedIn. Uh, and, you know, the, the project, um, it was like our parachute, our safety net. Um, if things ever went wrong, we had a project name for like a spin-off business. Uh, and the project name or the code name was Shoebox because we like made a point, you know, we had this in the previous business, we had like a nice office and, you know, it was all very cushy and, and we're like, wouldn't matter if things didn't go to plan. Um, it wouldn't matter. We'd be happy working out of a shoebox. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough. My brother-in-law, uh, actually gave me a, an, a room within his accounting office in Parramatta uh, to start. And that was the, the shoebox. I'm obviously forever grateful for that because when you're starting up, there's a lot of uncertainty and I guess I was doing it again. So it wasn't as, um, I guess as scary as maybe someone who's completely taking a leap. I, by that point in time, I'd already had roughly 10 years experience, uh, had built a network and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so since fast forward, we, you know, we, we have four people for, and then, you know, now we've got 35 people plus a 20 people call center. And then we've got our other business drive IQ, which I'm a partner in. And that's the software as a service, um, business that, that we license that software to other asset finance brokers in the industry and other mortgage brokers and things like that. And that business has around, you know, 20 people as well, 12 devs, CTO, product managers, you know, uh, scrum masters, all the rest of the, the tech stuff. And, uh, but yeah, we've been really busy. We've been all been working really, really hard to grow loan options from, you know, essentially, um, what was a very small finance brokerage into like a FinTech, um, what they're calling us now is like a Neo broker. It's like a hybrid between a, a traditional broker and a fully automated, you know, FinTech business. So, um, can you describe loan options uh, for everybody? Yeah. So uh, loanoptions.ai is Australia's first artificial intelligence powered loan marketplace. And I guess how we differ from other loan marketplaces, we actually do the fulfillment side for the customer too. So other marketplaces typically just have the listed options that are available for the customer. There's no real smarts behind it. It's just here are the offers that are available in the market and the rates are typically advertised from XYZ. 
Um, we actually use AI to match the client with the most suitable um, loan offer. And, you know, we also build the lender's credit policy and matrix into it. So the more information that the client provides, the more accurate the loan matches get. And essentially, um, we actually then go right through to the end. So we have a seamless online application process that's mobile friendly and the client can apply then and there. They'll know which offer is most likely going to be the most suitable one for them. And then our team in the back, that human connection element will get in contact with the client. They'll concierge them right from the, the process in which they apply through to settlement and when the funds are received and, and obviously post-settlement looking after them. And what type of loans? Is it home loans? Is it car loans, equipment? It's everything except for property lending. Um, and one, there's a, a obviously a very clear strategic reason for that. We do um, car loans, personal loans that are unsecured for all purposes. We do business loans for working capital, lines of credit and things like that for small businesses. And that's one of our specialist areas. And obviously all types of equipment as well. So everything non-property lending is where we focus on. And one of the reasons we don't actually do home loans ourselves is because a lot of our partners, our strategic partners are mortgage brokers. And so we create reciprocal referral partnerships with them we actually give them our technology because we built it as a white label service. We've been doing the national tour. That's probably why you've been seeing so much of us uh, all over social media. So we have um, that technology that's on our website. We can actually white label, uh, put it on any website. It doesn't matter if it's a, a WordPress or a, a Wix or a Squarespace. We embed that technology and change the colors so that it's look and feel is embedded natively. Just so listeners can kind of, and potentially me, um, can imagine the the tech you're talking about. It's kind of like <laughs> this might be really dumb, but but roll with me. It's kind of like uh, Booking.com in the sense, you know, like you put in, I want to travel to the Maldives on this date. This is uh, you know, f- I want five star only to look at. I want this as that. It gives you the options. Okay, these are the options. These are the ones that are best for you, and it allows you to book and pay or whatever straight through Booking. You kind of do something very similar, but with loans and with the financial Correct. institutions. It's a pretty good analogy. Like the way that I look at it is um, when they first put in their information, like the bare minimum is like name, phone number, email address. We have a, a creates an inquiry, goes to our team, but it's more than that. It's when it, when they put in that initial basic information, like the loan amount they're looking for, the loan term they're looking for, whether it's personal or business use, the type of asset they're looking to buy, uh, it makes assumptions on a whole bunch of other things just so it can give them some results. So until they tell us they're not a property owner, it assumes they're a property owner. Until they tell us they have bad credit, as an example, it assumes they have reasonable credit. Um, and so it starts by showing them offers and then they go in and fill out all of their details. So, you know, I'm, here's my date of birth. We do a soft check on the credit file so it doesn't impact their credit score at all. And it learns as it's going, it's, it's learning more and more about the customer. It looks at their employment information, like I'm casually employed for three months so then it looks at all the credit policy um, for those lenders that are showing and it says, okay, which lenders can't do casually employed for three months and it knocks them out. So it'd be like in, in that same analogy, the client says, I like, um, you know, waterfront view or, you know, harbour view or whatever in the hotel. I like it to be two twin beds or instead of one king bed. They're putting in information and then it's matching the results more and more accurately. So by the end of it, we have this progress bar that's AI match percentage so by the end of it, they'll have like a 96% match uh, with the lender. So the, again, you know, if they only give us half the information, the match is going to be half as good as it could be. If they give us all of the information, it's going to get more and more accurate. I think what's really, though, crucial 
to kind of talk about is your strategy towards how you've expanded. Because you've said, okay, great, we needed this piece of technology for ourselves and we wanted to obviously build a great business out of it. Then you realize, wait a second, if we white label this and we go partner with all of the uh, mortgage brokers, for example, the home uh, home lenders, and say to them, look, you guys currently aren't doing uh, small asset finance and things like that. Why don't you just start doing it? And you don't even have to barely partner with us. You just put our technology on your platform. They think it's you. They're going through you to do it. Is that how it works? Pretty much, yeah. So, and and so like in that respect, mortgage brokers um, focus on their core business. You know, they've whether they're residential or commercial property, their specialty the asset finance loans, uh, it's a different beast. And it's the same reason why we don't do home loans. Like we're not a specialist in that area and you really need to be a specialist to get the best client outcomes. So, you know, yeah, we give them the technology and we recently built a function just based off feedback. And I'll, I'll love to talk about that because um, when it comes to tech, I think speed to execution is everything. Um, and, you know, some of the feedback we got when we were demoing this tech to mortgage brokers is like, this is absolutely amazing. We love it, but why can't it also do home loan inquiries? And we're like, well, you know, that's for you. That's your core. That's what business. you do. Yeah, that's what you do. And they're like, no, no, no. But just make sure they get redirected to us. We're like, okay, because we were concerned that if they have, like, so now on our website, we actually have a home loan button and they can go through and put in their information for a home loan. So the customers can do that. But what we do with those inquiries is we feed them back to our network of mortgage brokers that support us. So we actually created a lead gen form off the back of feedback that our mortgage brokers gave us. But that, that was done in less than a week after we got the feedback, execute, and um, less than a week we had that feature live just by listening um, to our customers. So, um, but yeah, you know, that business model, I, I've, I haven't created this term, but it's I call it distribution by proxy because, you know, we created like a spider web of distribution. We have um, signed up recently 200 additional mortgage brokers off the back of this road show that we were doing with the advisor. And... So now we've got, in addition to the, you know, 50 plus that we already had embedded on websites, we created this web network of lead gen. So all these mortgage brokers have all these databases, all their clients visiting their website to get quotes or, you know, to use their resources online, read about first home buyers grants and all the SEO stuff that they have driving traffic to their websites. And now if they select car loan or personal loan or any other product that we do, they automatically get redirected to our team and our team facilitate them. So the mortgage broker literally has to do nothing. We'll facilitate it. But they'll still take a clip on that sale because they they provided that lead or that person. Correct. We do a revenue share 50-50. So it's a genuine. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and, and yeah, it, it's just a – it's one of those brilliant uh, scale models, growth strategies, marketing plans, whatever you want to call it. It's brilliant. And it's brilliant because – you're leveraging existing databases of people from ex- existing companies' databases and you're helping those people monetize those databases even more, providing a service that's similar to the one that's existent but something that they don't specialize in and doing it in a way where they don't have to do anything. They can use your technology so the person can go through the tech and they can use your team, your support team, your service team to help help their clients actually have a good yeah. experience. And, and the teams of experts, you know, we don't have people that are kind of inexperienced on the phones like we, we wanted to make sure that the the level of service they would get would be equal to or potentially better than what they were able to offer their own customers. And mm. so we're really big on that service aspect. And as much as we're a tech and an AI-based business, the human connection is everything. And the AI shouldn't be there to replace the human connection. It should be there to enhance. So things like giving the client a, a tracker so they can understand exactly where their loan is up to, 
um, and you know they know exactly who in our team is looking after their file. That's the level of service that we want to enhance with technology um, rather than just focus on people on the phone calling the client every day. Here's where your file's up to. Give them live updates. Let them know the – like give them a countdown timer to understand how long it's going to take from to go from point A to point B and, and so on. But when we were building the technology, it was always in the back of our minds that this would be like useful for everybody. So we wanted to build it. Um, it was built very in a very clever way as a, like a code snippet. So we could inject that code for this widget. We call it a widget. We can inject it on any website. So we made sure it's like a JavaScript code that we just paste into the, the website and um, and then everybody can get the benefit. There's some stuff that happens in the back end that's obviously a bit more complicated. We've got to configure it and whitelist the, the domain and IP addresses and things like that. But we knew that like any good product, it's the same reason why Tesla open source their patents. Um, any really good product, if you actually genuinely want to help people and think that this tool would be suitable to give people more transparent loan offers, which is what we do, then you shouldn't be trying to keep it for yourself. You should be able to find a way to give it to everybody else at no cost, which is what we do. Um, and obviously we commercialize it through that revenue share model. So there's no risk for the mortgage broker. You said before that, um, so this company only started in 2020, so it's yeah. quite new, but you had another company before that or you said you had 10 years experience before that? Yeah, so um, I've pretty much been in automotive and asset finance since I left school, like basically 18 years old. Um, I'm thir- I just I turned 30 in September. And so I've had a very interesting journey and uh, hasn't all been smooth sailing. Uh, as you could probably imagine, any founders will, will tell you the same thing. But pretty much um, I worked for a company and I started as like a junior finance broker, essentially. Um, they had a slightly different title, but it's effectively what I was doing. And then I went finance broker, senior finance broker. And at that point I was looking after about six people, responsible for about six people. And then I went group man- uh, finance manager, finance broker. I was looking after about 12 people at that point. Um, and then I became uh, a training manager and essentially I was responsible for uh, hiring, onboarding, recruiting the cadets, uh, so the future finance brokers, training them from scratch. And I probably trained about 25 people um, directly and indirectly trained probably 50 to 100 um, where I wasn't actually responsible for the recruitment side but once they were onboarded I was training and performance managing and then I, I became a state manager. And in that role, it was very interesting because I had to take, um, you know, broken finance departments in car dealerships and things like that and rebuild them. So I really enjoyed that that role. Like the training and the sales training stuff was really, really cool. I enjoyed that. I was very good at it. Um, the, the rebuilding finance departments, broken ones, was very, very challenging but also very, very rewarding. So essentially um, it was a finance consulting business and they would consult to dealerships who were having problems getting their F&I department, finance insurance department to perform. And so they, they would have a situation where they've got less than benchmark average performance or, you know, half of the benchmark where it should be. And it was really down to breakdowns in relationships between the finance manager and the sales team or um, breakdown from the top, like at dealer principal level or general manager level, um, breakdown in processes or, or lack thereof processes. So and got, so you were working at this company yes, that was like a employee. consulting business yep. to help finance companies improve their functions. Yeah, or dealerships. Or uh, dealerships yeah. improve their functions. And and so what was the point where um, you started your own business? 
uh, fast forward, like 20, uh, it's t- 2020 loan options is my first where I was the only. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't but, know but that. But 2016, um, I, w- I became a partner, or a bit after that, I was a partner in another finance broking business. I was a shareholder, but I was a minority shareholder rather. The first ma- majority shareholding I had was loan options. And what did you learn? So what what was the realization to start loan options? What what were the what was what did you see in the previous experiences that said, okay, I can do this and this will be better? E- everything I learned in uh, so the company was called We Are Finance. We Are Loans, I helped them um, launch their brokering arm, which was called We Are Loans, and Auto Approve, which was the one that was the predecessor to loan options that led me to start loan options. Everything I learned in those businesses led me to believe that I was onto a winner. And the the idea or the concept for loanoptions.ai, I'd already started building in whilst I was at Auto Approve in the hopes that they would invest in that technology and build it out. And some of the th- some of the things I learned in that business, where I was a consulting, was essentially that there was no there was a real lack of transparency in the way that people quoted in finance. So, you know, you walk, customer walks into a dealership and says, you know, and this is pretty standard even today in car dealerships. They ask what, what sort of loans can I get, or you know, they talk to the finance manager. There's a real lack of transparency for a couple of reasons. One is the last thing they'll want to tell you is the interest rate, right? And the second thing is they only really have access to two or three banks or lenders. So whoever their incumbent, let's say it's a Toyota dealership, they have Toyota Finance and maybe one other, sometimes two others. So you've only really got two or three options that they're selecting your product from. They don't have the breadth or the spectrum of lenders from major banks through to, you know, subprime lending to really tailor a finance solution like Right now we have more than 75 lenders on the platform. And so really when we say we're giving the client the best available outcome. It really is. It, yeah, it's as close as possible to, the, to the, the very truth of that. You could argue that there might be some boutique lender somewhere that's not on our panel that might be able to offer a, a better thing. So I'll never say with, one, with 100% certainty that that's the best outcome, but it's as close as you can possibly get. And we're going out of our way to add new lenders all the time if we see that they'll be valuable to our customers. And so since starting in 2020, mind you, you started in COVID, which, yeah. I mean, can't help, you know, a business's growth or trajectory if, if it's in its infancy. You've all, I've been to your offices, obviously, and you've got a big team there and they're all there is one yeah. thing I noticed. They're all look really happy too is the other thing I noticed. How have you, how did you go about building a team, um, finding the right people? Um, why do you think your team are all in the office and happy? Um, and, you know, what's been your philosophy or methods around that? Yeah, so um, uh, most people know this, but I'm not a big fan of um, the work from home thing. I, I think if you want to build something good, you can do the work from home thing. If you want to build something great, it just can't work. There's no way that you can get the level of collaboration that's needed to build something great when everybody's on their couch in their pajamas. And, um, but I want to be clear, you know, I'm a very flexible, reasonable, empathetic, um, you know, leader. leader. And, um, you know, in that respect, if somebody was to come to me and say, I've got, you know, life is coming, jumping in the way and, you know, I need to be home. I'm never going to say no. I've never said no to anybody, Um, you know, especially when it's a reasonable request. The main thing there is that it's the exception and not the rule, you know. So we, we as, a, as a rule, we want everybody in the office and we want everybody to be part of a team. 
you know, you can build a, a business full of great individuals if you're doing the work from home thing. And we see that because some companies are like, look how well it's working from us. But I guarantee you that they could be doing a lot better and they could have a more integrated um, workforce if they were doing the work in person thing. And I'm not here to tell people how they should or shouldn't run their business, but certainly for us in terms of how we've grown, I, I have to put that down to the fact that we've got this, you know, amazing sense of camaraderie in the team. Um, everybody feels like they're part of a team. They're not, you know, individuals within a team. Uh, everybody knows their role. It's very clear. Everybody knows the expectations and standards that we have. And we hire people based on values, which is, which is the prerequisite. The first thing I do when I sit down with somebody in an interview is show them our company values. And it's very quick for me to understand whether or not they would fit in those values. You just see their reaction to some of them and what's important to us. Sometimes it doesn't align with them. And then it's, you know, asking things like, you know, how many days can I work from home? Yeah. Um, you know, priorities are, are wrong in that sense. You know, you might have great employees that have less than ideal family circumstances. And, and I totally respect that. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not here to judge or whatever. It's just, it's been my, um, it's been my perspective that to build something truly, truly great, you need that level of collaboration where you've got a software developer sitting right next to a broker, the broker's giving live feedback and that feedback loop gets closed when the software developer fixes that thing or creates the new feature and then goes straight back to the broker and they're working side by side, hand in hand to create the best possible products. It's not just that. And I mean, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And I, the one thing I love about recent times with employment is the innovation that's been brought to the table that enables leaders like yourself or like me to be able to be, um, to be able to help your team better than you once could, because now they can say, Oh, you know, can I work from home? Um, I don't know. What did you ask me the other day? Can I work from home? Whatever. I'm looking at Laura, Laura, I think her fridge was getting fixed. Of course you can. No no one cares. Like, of course you can do that. And, but whereas in the past that would, that probably wouldn't even be available. So I love that innovation, but I, I do agree in that collaboration is one element and it's one important element for teams to bond, particularly for creating long-term teams, because when they have no bonds with their people at work, you see that. They, they leave. Yeah. yeah. You can see it all the tech companies. I'm doing all this hiring for BOA and these people, they, you know, they've got full flexibility, full, they get amazing wages, amazing benefit. Or I, don't, I don't know, but they all claim to amazing everything, but they haven't stayed at a job for longer than a year. So Here's my whatever theory. that environment is, it can't be as good as what it is a cub because everyone at cub stays a long time. Yeah. So, and, and we don't have flex- <laughs> flexibility. So yeah. I don't know what it is, but well, I, something's I think, different. I think you're you're saying that you don't have flexibility, but you're, I know you, you're a reasonable person. Like if Laura said- We have structured, scheduled flexibility, and we Correct. also have freedom. So if someone needs something, you can do that. Do That's that. fine. It's yeah. not a problem. And when I say scheduled flexibility, I am pro, um, uh, for example, I am pro, Cub, we, we do- a lot of we finish late a lot of nights, yeah. not super late, not corporate late, but we host so many networking things that often our events team might be finishing at four nights a week at 6 p.m. or, or 6.30, sometimes 7. So for those people, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of people, people facing stuff, which is energy zapping. You are sacrificing a lot of time in the afternoons because you're doing that. For those people, if they're doing a great job, they've shown the commitment to the company, I'll sit with them and say, 
what do you want? What would make your life 10 times better at work and at home? And they might say, look, I would love to be able to work from home just on a Monday to get my work done, to do my things. And if I could come in a bit later, so I have time in the morning once a week and maybe uh, I never work late more than four times a week, if that's possible. 100%, yeah, that's yours. Um, you can yeah. do that. It doesn't, you, you've already proven that you're, you know, that you're committed. Um, you're already doing a great job. I have no, um, I, I know that you're going to be working at home as well. But the trust part is really important. It's the most yeah. important because you know that it's not happening. They finish the Monday meeting. Then, they, oh, you know, what? I'm going to go walk the dog. Then they walk the dog and then you yeah, haven't eaten breakfast yet. Yeah. I've got to eat breakfast. Then it's 11 o'clock. There's okay. Let's do a little bit of work. Then someone starts talking to them next to oh, Yeah. I better yeah. make them a sandwich or something. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it's, 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 it's not, you're not working at maximum capacity. I am told that some people do like Alice and Kirsten on our team said that, you know, they do at home and I do trust that they do. Yeah. I just don't trust that the 98% of other people yeah, will. Right. There are yeah. exceptions. Yeah. Um, like I said, you know, before trust is, trust is everything. And, you know, even, you know, um, I was employee number one at auto approved, just circling back to that. And I literally built that team from the ground up and, and that was the previous business. But, uh, the one thing I used to say when I was hiring people is like, you never need to lie to me. You never need to call in sick at 7 a.m. and screw the whole team over because you've got a work basket of like 80, 90 applications that you're working on and you, you call me with the fake sick voice and go, <clears throat> I'm sick. If you've had a big Sunday night, you've gone out with your mates, I would rather you told me on Sunday and said, I'm going to have a bender tonight. <laughs> um I'm just being honest. I agree. Yeah. Transparency and, and, and honesty. And then you know what I could do? On Sunday, I could rearrange the staff. I would Before they went out, I would get them to do a handover, create a, a Google Doc or something like that and go, here's what's going on with all the files. Here's the ones that need urgent, urgent action. Here's the ones I'll pick up on Tuesday. Um, and then and then it's problem solved. Go enjoy your Monday. Go sleep in, do what you need to do, whatever. But th that's the trust that you have to um, – that's why you have to say yes. If you say no, then they'll lie to you. And so that's my perspective. Um, I used to say to them, if you need to stay home just because you want to play video games, like a mental health day or whatever, I don't care. But just tell me that's the truth. And what happened is some people started um, uh, doing that and saying, I've got this, you know, and it might be trivial to you. You know, you're like, really? You need to walk the dog or whatever? Like, is that more important? To, to me, that's how I look at it. But but not everybody is is me. But I was understanding that that's important to them. And it doesn't matter if it's walking the dog or anything else. I'm using that as an example. But they told the truth. That's why they wanted to stay home that day or why they didn't want to come into work or, you know, um, they needed to go pick up, you know, or go to their um, girlfriend's graduation or yeah. whatever. Like those are important life events for that person and I totally respect that. So what I would do is I'd say yes and what we ended up having is zero sick days just because there was that level of comfort where they could say – Well, trust and respect because they were respecting you enough to be like, hey, listen, this is, like I need to do this. Is that fine? Yep, that's fine. Done. Yeah, because the reality is, it's very rare for people to to um to to use that. Like you know, if you're feeling a little bit flu or whatever, some people still come in or whatever, and you don't really want them to infect the whole office. So you kind of you tell them stay home, but they would work from home. They're like sick. I'm I'm just going to stay home and just get stuff done. There was really never any last minute sick days, and that's what I'm talking about with the no sickies. Um, and and it was because of that trust that was built, and it was also because they felt comfortable. Yeah, no situations where the rest of the team is put out. Because of because of one person, yeah. you know they they could work from home. That's fine if they're not feeling well and they still can get their job done. Then that see this is the type of conversation that I think needs to happen around employment. Because from what I can see, 
Um, and, and again, this isn't blanket because there's a lot of cub members. I, I mean, I speak to business owners all day. It's my full-time job. There's plenty of amazing businesses that have complete staff working from home. It's particularly small businesses because they can save on the rent. Yeah. And, you know, they, they can it potentially might give them an edge to find um, some people that they think would be better suited to them or they can get them on contract or they can. So I think for small business, it's actually fantastic. But when you are trying to achieve something great, like you said, I thought that was a great way to put it. When, when you want to achieve something great, you need not just collaboration and bonds, but you, you need a lot of effort. People need to work hard yourself included, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. it's like if I said to people, I'm going to work a four day work week, I'm obviously not going to be the, the greatest uh, business community entrepreneur in the world. It's just not going to happen yeah, because someone that is just as good as me is going to do seven days a week yeah. and they are going to get there. Yeah. You know, it's no, no one ever great has just put in four days a week. Yeah. But I had a conversation the other day with a friend of mine um, who um, she was a midwife. She um, uh, she she uh, got married, um, and she wanted more flexibility. To she got pregnant. Sorry, married and pregnant. She wanted more flexibility with her child. She wanted to earn more money um, so that they could afford to buy a house. And so she started a business, like a midwifery consulting yeah. kind of business. Anyway. It's going fantastic. She's earning more than she earned as a midwife. She loves what she does. She, she's got the flexibility. And I was talking and she was saying, I, I work four days a week because I want um, also more time with my, my, my baby and all that type of stuff. Um, and I said, ah, I hate four days a week. But, but And she was saying, why do you hate it? I said, because if you want, like, I want to be great. I want to work seven days a week. I'd work eight days a week if they gave it to me. But, you know, if God made a magic day. <laughs> but, but, but she said, yeah, but Daniel, that's not my goal. My goal is just to have some financial – I want to contribute financially to my relationship. I want flexibility. I want the ability to choose when I'm with my child. Um, and I, I want the flexibility to live my life. And I'm doing that with four days a week. So I, I, was, I love that because it was yeah. like that is the – uh, like good to great. That is a very, well, that is a great situation for her. That is her great situation. So it's really the goal of the person. Um, but companies like Cub um, and Bowl will be the same and companies like Loan Options, well, we are trying to build something great for us. But what's great for us is is yeah. what you typically look at as great. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like max. We want to be yeah. the biggest, best <laughs> companies that ever have, you know, the greatest entrepreneurs. That, and yes, that, 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 that needs to then you need to attract people that have um, that share those values of the ambition, work ethic, commitment. I'm going to go back to your point about some of the software developers and and other um, you know skilled professionals that have all these great perks. Maybe they work for Atlassian and or they work for Google and they have slippery dips and slides in their office and all that, and they talk about all these perks. But there's something that they actually are missing, and it's one thing I figured out. Um, not just recently, I've known it for some time, but but it was kind of cemented recently as our teams expanded, is people want more than just money in the, from their job. They want um, to upskill, they want to get better, they want to do things, they want to have some kind of other level of prestige that's more than just money. And I'll give you an example. We're trying to incentivize certain behaviors, hit certain goals and KPIs and milestones that are, you know, let's say 120, 150% of the baseline target, right? So... And that could be cross-selling, could be whatever it might be. 
in, in my experience, just throwing more money at them when they're already sort of on a commission basis and, and things like that, it didn't get the desired behavior. But we, we, um, I came up with an idea um, where we bought these, I bought um, these uh, loan options colored Jordan ones. And I basically said to the team, uh, I'm wearing them now, by the way, uh, but uh, I said to the team, if you hit X, Y, Z uh, milestone, then you become part of this, uh, I guess, this top, you know, 5%, top 1% in the, in the company and you get these shoes and you can wear them as a badge of honor. And immediately, immediately, the team started pushing towards those goals because they wanted to, they wanted that status. They wanted that prestige and it's not money. The shoes, like they're not even, they're four or 500 bucks. It's not like if I had said to them, I'll give you $500 extra commission. And if you hit those targets, there's no way they would have got there because it's not, it doesn't move the needle, but this, this element of um, prestige or, or um, status amongst their peers uh is something that moves the needle. So it tells you that people want more than just money. It's not just money. They need the camaraderie. They need the competitive spirit. And that's where you get the benefit of, especially in sales teams, you get the benefit of having them side by side. You see them, the, the person next to you picking up the phone or does a really good uh, sales call and you learn from them. And then, so what, what's happening is your workforce are, are upskilling each other at the same time. And so those people that sit in their pajamas on the laptop, and they work from home and they're getting, doesn't matter what the amount is. They're let's, missing those let's, vibes. Let's say it's 150K a year as a software developer or whatever it is. You're, you're sitting there writing code from, and I'm you know, not saying all of them wear their pajamas. I'm just using that as like, because it's a comfort thing, working from home from, from you know, you can don't have to dress in a suit or, or whatever. So if they're doing that and then they get an email or a LinkedIn inbox from a competitor that says, hey, we'll pay you 160 grand a year. And you don't need to move off your couch, essentially. You just get that extra money and you do the same, same type thing. of work for a different brand. But, you know, they don't have any loyalty to the people. team or the it's organization. Yeah. They don't, they're, not, they're not feeling like they're letting their colleague down by um, doing it. And so there's no loyalty to the brand. There's no loyalty to the company. There's no loyalty to the team. Um, so it's easy for them. And that's why I think a strong reason why they, um, they all leave after a year is because they're, they're looking for something. They think that more money is going to give them that fulfillment. Um, they think that it's going to fulfill that void that they have. It's, it's, it's not. It's because people want more than just money. You need the, the connection. You need the camaraderie. Some software developers work better in quiet. Like it's hard. Sometimes we have, you know, a rowdy sales team, for example, next to software developers and, and it, it can get too loud and we just have to manage that noise. Um, we're getting some more space next door, which will hopefully help for that because then we'll just separate them. But, um, in you know, sometimes they go, you know what, I'm, I'm like halfway through this project, I need to just focus and I want to work from home. And it's like, yeah, cool, go. You know what I mean? It's, it's like I said, it's just about what's, it's, what's important to them. And they, a lot of them understand the importance of being part of this team, being there, being present, asking questions, listening to conversations, listening to problems that the customers have because they might be able to come up with a solution and go, we keep getting the same customer feedback over and over again about one section of the application form or whatever it is. If they hear it, they'd be like, hey, here's a suggested solution. If they're at home and isolated away from the, the, the ambient noise of the day, um, they're just not going to get that. I agree. And and you can only progress as a person being around people. You're not progressing by yourself. You, you never, you can sit at home, maybe 
do some course, never implement it with another human and therefore never really take in the information and understand how to, how to utilize it. But, but I, I agree, money's not the answer. It's, it's a small part of one of what I think there are three main things like people want at work. Money's a part of the, the, the first one, which I don't think is the most important one, which in, I'd call it like they want to know you care. Yeah. You know, like, I'm doing something valuable. I should be paid appropriately for, for what I'm doing. That's part of, you know, they want to know you care. As well as things like that could be um, you know, oh, my, my, my um, can I work from home today because I need to do this, I need to help my mum out with this. Yeah. Of course you can. I yeah. care about your mum because I care about you and yeah. I want yeah. you and your family to be happy. Or just saying someone that was fantastic work, you know, great job, or their team supported. That's the, it's all part of that. Care. Okay, you know, I am valued. I'm valued. That, that could be, that could be, um, a better way to say it. But the next two things that I think are more important for people, the next one is the personal relationships. Because the wonderful thing about work is that family shit always is getting fucked up. There's always something going on with your family. Someone got sick. Someone did this. There's stresses with your family. Yeah. You care so much about them. And having a, a little community at work that you can keep it is somewhat separate to the dramas of your personal life and your, and your, and your family that it, it creates a bit of stability and a, a support environment outside of, you know, the, you, your friends and your family. It's your third community in the sense. And those relationships, um, I think above being friendships and being loyal to each other and learning and building new relationships, which how often do you do as an adult? Very rarely. At work you have the opportunity to actually build new relationships. They actually end up being a support mechanism outside of your traditional life. And then the third thing, which I think is the most important thing, and I actually think at Cub what has always been, well, Cub, the, the relationship one's always been huge, to be honest, that's the business we're in, but is personal progression. And that doesn't mean going up in their role. Like people just, people want to get better and be stronger. And whether or not they know they want it, when they feel the sensation of, wow, you know, I just learned something new. I just, I just did something. I just learned how to speak in front of people, even something small like that. Or I just learned how to, um, you know, handle this situation or, uh, if, when they have these little steps of progression, they build confidence. And when they build confidence, they approach life in a whole different way. They're, they're a stronger person. They feel more prestige for themselves. They have you know, more self-respect and, and that's what I think work gives people. You know, I'm a part of this thing that's purpose. building this. Yeah, yeah it's, and, and progression with that purpose. When you give people that, when they feel I'm actually being a better person by being part of this team, the team is so supportive of me and I feel valued. I don't care whether or not I can sit at home all day. I'd rather come in here because yeah. I'm actually improving when I come yeah. in here. That, I, yeah. I want to point that out because uh, some people listening to this might go, oh, his team must like hate coming into the office. No. Actually, even if I said you guys can all work from home, I reckon there would be 95% or more that would still turn up every single day. You know, even during COVID, because obviously we started um, the business uh, August 1st, 2020. So we'd just come out of the first lockdown. Then we had the 2021 lockdown. You know, pretty much every single staff member applied for the travel exemption to come into the office. You know, financial services was deemed like an essential service at the time. Um, so we were able to do that, but everybody turned up to the office. There was only a very few people that were, um, had some vulnerable people at home and things like that. And, and that was cool. We, you know, no problem. Um, but you know, to, to your point about progression, about purpose, all of that stuff, like in our team, we make it very clear about the values. Cause that's the number one hiring thing. If you don't fit the values, the culture, if you don't fit that, doesn't matter how good you are at your job, 
it's not going to work. Um, so that's the first piece. And then we look at, you know, is, is it the right person in the right um, role? Um, and that's where the skills, the experience, all of that stuff comes in. And it doesn't matter what your educational background is. I'm more looking for what's your aptitude to, to learn uh, what's your your attitude like? Are you positive? Are you negative? Are you you know you're actually going to bring a network to the team? Are you, like what what is it that you bring outside of just what your resume says? Um, and we make it very clear about you know one of our values is about continuous improvement. It's test and learn, and all of the values that we have we live and breathe in everything that we do. So test and learn that's about continuous improvement. So we pay for any courses that our team want to to do to upskill. So. You know, we're putting a whole bunch of our team through leadership um, and management courses, like, you know, essentially like the Future Leaders program for, for, for um, within our business. We also have some um, software developers that uh, wanted to do um, or under, increase their understanding in AI machine learning. So we're putting them through the Amazon AWS style certification um, program, the Google um, uh, TensorFlow and, uh, you know, all the other cloud um, certifications. But even outside of that, whether it's like Cert Four and mortgage and finance broking or whatever, like we fu we fund those courses for the staff so that they feel like they can get progression, even if their job title doesn't change. They're learning, they're upskilling, and we lay out what the path is for progression in each role. So if you junior broker, finance broker, senior finance broker, team leader, you know that's the progression, and maybe then you move into more of an ops role or or something up beyond that. Um, and the other, the other part is like, we give them, um, uh, free books. So you want to learn something, we'll buy the book for you, whether you want it in audio book format or, or, you know, hard, hardcover, we'll, um, we'll pay for all the books that you want because we've started a book club internally where we exchange ideas and good books with each other. Cause I think that's how you create that culture of continuous improvement. It's like, I learned this or like I'm learning, I'm reading, you know, extreme ownership or whatever it is that you're reading at the time. And you share those ideas with everybody and it creates this like this vibe of um, of everyone wanting to be better. But I think this just shows like what I said is that that's – you obviously – you guys are doing that. Like it's about progression. And you know what? Some days, like you said, some days I do hate going into the office. Yeah, just like some days I, I I hated having to move to Melbourne um, to, to, to help cover the start in Melbourne. To the, I love being with my family in Sydney. Yeah. I hated going to the gym this morning. I didn't want to go. <laughs> I still went. Yeah. You know, it, it – you're soft if you, oh, I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to do it. That It just breeds weakness. Where Sometimes you've got to do the things you hate but do them like you love them because that's when you – that's the when you difference between motivation and discipline. Yes, right? it's that's, important. Uh, you know? you can't just love everything you do. In order to be someone strong and achieve something great, you have to do a lot of things you hate. Yeah, that's you right. Know? Like, yeah. And people go, oh, that's counterproductive, but, but it's not really because – that motivation will, will help, you know, if you've got motivation, you'll get up in the morning and that's okay. But the moment your motivation is lacking, you'll sleep in, you'll miss the gym, you'll skip your diet, you'll do all those things. Weak. Um, and yeah, it, it does promote weakness and your mind plays tricks on you. I'll give you an example, just exactly what you just said. You know, um, uh, in, in my gym, like I, I, I trained at Gracie in Artaminas now, brother Artaminas at Jiu-Jitsu gym. And everyone's like, I go to the morning class, it's like, got to be up at 5 a.m. to drive to Artama and train there. It means a lot to me because I don't actually like lifting weights or, or anything. I don't do any of that. I don't enjoy it. I much, I much more enjoy like sport. So this is a sport. So I get uh, – And jiu-jitsu is also – it's this, like a smart – it's the smart man's martial arts in the sense that 
jiu-jitsu is just a big mind game. It's a lot of thinking. It's like physical it's a lot of, chess. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, chess. Physical yeah, exactly. chess. That's the best way to easily describe it to somebody. And, you know, so many times I wake up in the morning, my alarm goes off at 5 a.m., and my mind plays tricks on me. Like, oh, you've got a shoulder injury, you've got a neck injury, you should sleep in, you definitely should go to the gym. And pretty much I have this battle with myself. Um, it sounds maybe like I'm crazy, maybe I am, but um, the battle goes on internally for about two minutes and it's just like, um, no, well, if you are injured, what you can still do is go there and just watch. You can convince yourself like that. You can go there and just spectate. You'll still learn because it's like if you can't, let's say you go to a gym and you lift weights, if you're injured and you don't lift weights, you're not really learning anything. But in jiu-jitsu, you can watch, you can learn the technique, you can visualize it, you can see them doing it and you understand it for when you aren't injured. So I convinced myself that, you know, just go and watch then. That's fine. I'll get out of bed, get ready. And by the time I'm in the car on the way there, all of a sudden that injury that my brain told me I had uh, or that sore neck or the sore shoulder or whatever it is, it's not even there. It's just your mind playing tricks on you. So um, that's the discipline part. It's like if you learn – not to rely on the motivation, you learn to just be disciplined. You're like, this is what I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. This is how my day looks. And you just continue to do that rain, hail, shine, whatever it is, then you actually build that as part of your lifestyle. And to, to tie that back, I do want to take back the whole smart man's martial arts. I think all martial arts are for smart people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but, um, yeah, but the other thing, just speaking on discipline, the other thing that having that work routine gives you, you know, uh, even if, if, even if it was five days a week in the office, it does force that discipline. So there is an element of discipline going on. For example, if I have to be at the office by nine, well, that means I do have to wake up at six because I want to train before I go to the office. So I have to be, you know, I have to be done. So it forces discipline, which I think actually makes better, stronger people. The problem is when it's, when, when there's no discipline whatsoever you don't need to be anywhere at any time it's entirely up to you and how you're feeling it's just chaos it it, it 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 promotes non it promotes anti-discipline and then you know, people become less better off in my opinion but anyway it, that's well, not the, the other thing as well um just going back to the courses so we have a, a running account with udemy which is an online university and all the team have access to that and they just buy whatever online courses they want they want even if it's not related to their specific role if it's something that they want to get to so if there's a software developer that currently does mostly backend as an example um, or mostly database stuff or API stuff or, or whatever it is that they're working on, let them learn other areas that will round out their skill set. Um, and so those online universities, the courses are cheap. They cost next to nothing and they're far more effective than a lot of the other courses if they went to like something that's more broad, like a university course uh, as, an, as an example. So um, – and then we build out other things like, you know, regular team bonding events and we do them um, where possible and everyone's schedule lines up and, and things like that, like rain, hail or shine, good month, bad month, doesn't matter. Because I think sometimes when businesses are on, on the up and up, uh, it's very easy to go, yeah, let's go out and celebrate and have a team event. And then as soon as they have a bad month, they stop those events. And then it just creates or it removes all of the hard work that you've done to build that camaraderie. That's a good point. A, t a team event can't be a celebration. It has to be just about the uh, just about bonding between yeah. the team. So it can't be done only to celebrate. It has to be done um, routinely. Yeah, and uh, my point about that is is spot on to what you just said. Um, it's like it's it's a it's a regular occurrence. And if it was a great month, then yeah, great. We all you know high five and whatever else. If it was a hard month, then we we reflect and go, here's what we could have done better. 
but you know what, um, next month, clean slate, let's move on. And it really creates that culture of like, you know, line in the sand, let's move on. If, if you just kind of create that, um, that pressure, that pressure cooker environment where you start to let things leak out from, you know, maybe you had a bad month or whatever, and you start to put additional pressure on the team, um, to perform and whatever else you just undo all of the hard work. It takes months, maybe even years to build that positive work environment and the culture and all of that kind of stuff. And it can be undone with one tyrant spray. Um, so we're very conscious about making sure that it's a consistent thing, good, bad month, whatever it is. Um, it's consistent. I also just think it's a good metaphor for life. Like the team can, like not every month can be good. Yeah. In fact, it, not every month is good. And it's great to, it's great for the team to see, wow, there are good months, there are bad months, but even in the bad months, we're still happy, we're still planning, we're trying to figure out how to make the next one good or yeah, what yeah. went wrong. You know, it just shows the right mindset. Um, because in life there are good yeah, good times and bad times. And you can't you can't fold on the bad times. You have to you have to push forwards and 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 continue being continue doing what what you're doing. And I, I just think even just that, like we, we tell people when they join Cub that we're going to take you on the entrepreneurial journey. And what I mean by that is I'm going to tell them what's going on, you know, what's happening, my thoughts in the economy coming up, yeah. which I'd actually love to hear your opinion on that. But, you know, how we're doing at the moment, the problems that we're having as a business, the things that are going well. And now I don't typically just go out and tell the whole team these things, but if I'm sitting down someone starts talking to me and they ask me a few questions, like me and Laura do it, all the time, we just start randomly talking. I just, I'm open book. I just yeah. share what I'm thinking about uh, about things, and and I think telling people like, you know, it may be hard coming up because of this, and this month hasn't been great because of this, but it's not a big problem because we're doing this and this, and uh, I think it it just helps broaden people's view of the world, and also helps them realize, wow, our boss is or our leader is um is um he's realistic, you know, he's he's able to maintain a level head and a calm mind even when things aren't going great. And that's the type of, like, that's what I want to be like. Well, that's the type of person that I would like to help me uh, progress in life because, you know, things are bad sometimes and I would love to learn how to how to maintain stability and, and, and progression. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the economy is an interesting one. I, I um, Just rewinding a little bit, you know, when they started all the stimulus and things like that, I, I um, actually did a presentation, which was a long time ago, and um, I was saying, here's what exactly what's going to happen. You know, rates are going to start going back up. Inflation's going to go through the roof first, and then uh, they're going to have to increase rates. And I basically mapped out exactly what has happened. But at the time when I said to people that by June this year, June 2023, rates are going to be above 3%, um, at the time, literally people laughed at me. And um I didn't, it didn't bother me because I, in my head I was it was a foregone conclusion. I'm like, that's the way you can't just create money out of thin air and then just expect nothing to happen. And we got obviously issues with the supply chain and wars and all the rest of it, which are only going to compound um, any effects that we were expecting. Um, and so if anything, when people laughed at me at 3%, like now people are like I didn't go hard enough. I wasn't – I didn't – my outlook wasn't – aggressive enough, if anything. Um, but I definitely do think, you know, uh, Ilion re recently um, published some data about um, some of the small businesses that are facing a lot of financial stress. And 
Um, it's no coincidence that basically the 10 LGAs in Western Sydney that were locked down the hardest are the ones that are struggling the most now. Um, Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. That's shocking. I'll, I'll share the, the, yeah, um, send me the that. article or the report with you. Um, but, yeah, so basically now there's like a one in ten chance of failure for small businesses in Western Sydney, which is which is quite crazy. So I know at least ten business owners, like one of them is going gonna, is gonna to be under. Um, and it, it's scary to think that, um, you know, w- what's coming. Like obviously uh, uh, my best guess, I'm, I'm sure by the time this podcast release we'll know because uh, the announcement's today, but my best guess is that they might hold rates today. But I think it's already we're already seeing some of the small businesses, in particular, foot uh, businesses that rely on foot traffic, uh, already seeing um, some some big drops in in both business, but also uh, margins are being squeezed because of co- you know cost to acquire goods, cost of sales, and things like that are actually going up as well. Um, so you know I think there's some some muddy waters uh, coming, but um, Australian small businesses are extremely resilient. You know, that's the one thing I've learned, you know, in the last couple of years, few years, um, we are probably one of the most resilient uh, small business communities. And it's a testament to, um, you know, carbon and communities like that, that um, where they bring people together and help each other solve problems that they're facing. You know, one of the reasons I joined um, Carb was because I was a young founder. I was kind of looking at how do I scale a business? Um, A lot of people have already solved some of the problems that I was going to be facing and I was like, I can use this as a professional development tool and well worth the investment because the amount I've learned from other people in, in CARB and not just through things like CORE but all the, t- the talks that have come through um, has been amazing. And, you know, I never joined it with the view that, you know, I would be looking to get ROI in terms of connections made or dollars earned out of it. I joined with a view of like how much can I get in terms of ROI on professional development and some of the minds in this place, like just listening to some of the people talk and some of the problems and some of the businesses, you just, whenever you think you're doing well, you just talk to this guy and, and you know, they've got this business that's an absolute mammoth. You're just like, wow, they've already been through, been there, solved all the problems that you've, you're trying to solve. And, um, and sometimes they're random businesses. Like sometimes I'm like, how did you even think of getting into that business? You know, like you, you meet those people. Yeah. Like. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I soft serve machines or whatever. Yeah, You're just yeah, like, I have wow. like water tanks. <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, but I agree. The, the like, I, I mean, I personally think the economy is already messed up. Um, well, you know, when banks and things start going down, then Porter Davis, the the builders went down the five, other day. Five and, construction businesses a day. Yeah, are currently going there's, under. There's things going wrong. I actually think we've got the benefit of the media is not not saying too much about it. They they, they haven't. The American media hasn't. They don't want to admit shit's doom and gloom, so that they're not they're not saying much. I actually think at first I was worried about this year, but I don't think this year's going to be the problem. Uh, well, not a huge problem. The, I reckon next year because the U.S. elections on. Yeah, that's when the media is just going to go ballistic about things. It depends on what they want to say. Who what, what's we, but whenever there's a big election, particularly American one, the media is going to be blasting something, someone's angle. But so I'm actually a bit more eerie now about next year and yeah. so which does and I tell a lot of cub members I'm not an expert at, at anything at the econ- no, but economy you, you have anything, your but, finger on the pulse well, I've got my theories yeah. that I that, that way I manage myself and so this year I'm saying okay well I'm going to keep I'm going to execute the key goals even if they're costly uh, progressions 
um, still, so I'm not going to not do them. For example, we're moving Melbourne to that new beautiful yep. space. Brisbane's opening and, and Bowie launched, is launching. Um, so I'm still doing the main goals, but I do want to finish the year uh, in a position that is um, uh, that will that has a. I want to cut a lot of the shit and fat that doesn't need to be there yeah, yeah. by the end of the year. It doesn't need to happen right now, but by the end of the year, it needs to not be yeah, there. Secure and consolidated. And that way, next year we've yeah exactly. Next year we've got you know we've got the the bunkers all set. We're we're ready to go. The team's good. Uh, everyone that there's an a is an A player and they're doing well. Um, it's lean. We're not wasting money on little things that you know yet. Yeah, these little expenses that pop that up. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah every, they happen slowly, but uh, <laughs> over a, you know, a period of a year or two years with a good economy, they end up being a huge amount per month and you're like, okay, we can get rid of them. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my theory. I think it's, the media is going to scare everyone coming coming up to the election. But M- we do most need to – Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say most people have, um, you know, uh, already felt you know, the rate rises and things like that. We have the fixed rate um, cliff that's coming and – uh, my my view on that is I think some banks will kind of be pressured from the media to step in and, and offer those lower variable rates instead of the standard variable rate because most of those people aren't going to be able to service the debt on the new updated interest rates. So technically they can't get approved. They have to stay with the existing approval. And when you come off a fixed rate, you go to the bank's standard variable rate, um, which, you know, is the least competitive offer basically that you can get. Um and, and so it's going to be interesting to see how that part is managed because I think that's going to be the key to understanding which way the economy is going to go. There's, so far there's, there's so many different variables um, that we're battling with. There's supply chain constraints, there's the construction industry, there's pressure from, you know, the ATO. And I was talking to a builder the other day about, you know, how, mu- how much sque- they're getting squeezed on like um, – what's it called, homeowners insurance and things like that in terms of how many projects they can have running because of all these other businesses collapsing. But that means that there's pressure on their margins because cost of materials going up and just all of it. I think the the, the fixed rate cliff, that's one one event to watch. Obviously the instability uh, internationally with, you know, war and things like that is another one to watch and just see if those things escalate or if they Yes, yeah, but, but I, I think don't even look at them because <laughs> because if that happens, like that's so far out of your control, you can't do anything about yeah. it. If it happens, like there's going to be some bigger shit going down that you're going to be more worried Correct. about anyway. Like, yeah. It, 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 but I agree with the. You've got to focus on what you can control. Otherwise, yes. you go crazy. If you go yeah. down all these rabbit holes and you look into everything, you end up an anxious mess. Correct. And um, yeah, so you know, I think you're spot on there. Focus on what you can control. Make sure you're you're running your business responsibly. You're not um, spending money that you don't need to spend. Put yourself in a position. Do a war games style scenario, like map out as something we're doing in our business, like map out what if all of these things go wrong or any of them go wrong. So if all of them go wrong all at once, economy collapses, more banks collapse, lenders collapse, cyber security events in one of the lenders recently. If all of those things go wrong or any of them go wrong, you need to be prepared. Just have plans. Have a plan. Yeah. Exactly. We, We... if there's one thing, so someone smart once told me that, you know, in difficult times, they actually said it's been COVID and it worked beautifully for us. Don't focus on what the world's saying. Focus on your KPIs, like focus on your reporting, like focus on your performance as a company. Now, if it's dropping, that's fine, but you need it. You know, if your revenue drops, well, your costs might need to drop as well. Yeah. If, but, but sometimes if you focus on the outside world, you end up an anxious mess. You're, you know, there's different news every day. You don't know how to do it. You make but bad if, decisions. Yeah, if you're just watching your business 
and you've got plans, like you said, like I had COVID plans, like if our revenue dropped to this or if this happened, then we'd do this. So I, I was never really stressed because uh, there was a plan to, 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 to take place. Um, I think that was a really good um, a, a good advice. advice. Yeah, it was just focus on your business. Don't focus on the outside world and, and just have plans for what you think might happen. I will also say, though, because we're talking a lot about the economy and whatnot, but you speak to a lot of business owners right now, and there's a lot of people doing really well. Like a lot of cup members are, uh, uh, are really happy. They, you know, people are a bit nervous about the future, yeah. but right now they seem to be doing all right. Since um, 1st of July, pretty much every month except for two has been a record month for us. So um, I do think it's possible if you're a business owner and you're pushing the limits and you're doing really great, even if the market contracts, like we have a very big market, the total address world market is like 40 billion or more in the asset finance space, even if the market contracts, it is possible to grow in a contracting market. So just keep that in mind. You know, it might be doom and gloom. All the people you speak to around you might tell you that the world is ending and all the rest of it. But don't let – like to your point about focusing on what you can control and having plans in place and understanding your numbers, um, I think that's uh, something to, to just consider that you can be doing well whilst – Everyone else around you is is who's not as prepared can, can be suffering. A bit. And these times can be really good. Like these are great times for progression, for other businesses to to leave the the market, um, for innovation. You clean, you you know, you cut all, you cut the fat, so you become yeah. a really nice lean business. You like these are they're they're also these times are needed. They're positive. Well, these times that we're expecting may come are needed. Um, anyway, we do need to wrap up because yep. we've gone over time, but. Do you read much? Are you a reader? Yeah, yeah. It, I mostly do audio books just because like I can't I don't I never have time but because I'm in Sydney driving everywhere the yeah. traffic is great. I love audio books. Yeah. Um, um what's a, what's a what's I guess what's a top book you'd recommend? I love the series of books from Jocko Willink. Uh the first one is Extreme Ownership. Um the second one is The Dichotomy of Leadership and the third one's Leadership Strategy and Tactics. Um those are my three va- favorite books in terms of management leadership um, strategy, all that kind of stuff. And it, it's basically in summary, it's a, the perspective from a, a U.S. Navy SEAL. Um, and he just talks about, uh, accountability and extreme ownership, um, at the level where the risks are so great, you know, life or death. And, um, you know, that's a, again, pretty uh, extreme, uh, approach, but if, if, if those tactics and strategies around extreme ownership work for that situation, then it can definitely translate to business. And he's created a consulting business off the back of his experiences. Um, it's very, very insightful. Extreme ownership, I think, is almost one of the major keys to just life. Like it's actually one of our principles at Cub: ownership, you know, having ownership over over everything. One of us too. You, yeah. yes. Is it? That's yeah, funny. Yeah. Own it. Um, but to our amazing listeners, if you want to um, get in contact with Julian, uh, you can go to uh, or find out more tips and tricks from him, favorite quotes, get the links to his books uh, that he recommended and more. Go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you'll find it all there. If you want to catch up with Cub on socials, it's at Club United Business is our Instagram and it's equally as awesome. Jules, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Daniel. Awesome. I hope Love you enjoyed the work, show. Mate. Sorry. Love your work, mate. Thank you. Well, I love yours too, as you know. Um, And you still need to come check out our new HQ as well. Um, Anyway, to our listeners, hope you enjoyed the show.